You're listening to a Score North podcast right now, and if you're a business owner, so are your customers. In fact, I could be talking about your business right now, telling the tens of thousands of loyal fans about you and sending them to your business. Find out how you can partner with your favorite Score North podcast. Visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. Fill out the form, and we'll get in touch with you quickly. Once Phil, Judd, Declan, or others start talking about your company, you'll be amazed at how many fans start showing up. So visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. McGuire waits, swings, and hits it to deep center. Looks like it's going to leave the park. Adios! Wow! Sosa set to drive. Deep tight right. Oh, baby, long gone. All right, we're going we're gonna to jump into it, baby. The, the most fun summer young Phil Mackey, anyways, ever had watching baseball. And it was really fun to relive a two-hour documentary of one hour and 50 minutes of just highlights last night. So, we'll talk about that, too. Uh, random season recall Monday here on Mackie and Joe, but let's thank Luther Brookdale Toyota, 694 and Brooklyn Boulevard, where uh, you can get into some brand new Camrys and RAV4s right now. In fact, you can get into pre-owned Camrys and RAV4s that drive like new, 0% interest for 60 months on those vehicles. Uh, this is a place that my family and I have been going to for 30 plus years. Uh, they are trusted people. They are knowledgeable people. They have been taking plenty of safety precautions over the past three months to keep you safe, to keep their employees safe. They'll even bring a car out to you to test drive it. So if you just if you don't feel comfortable going into uh, the, the, the showroom, you could just arrange it on their website or give them a call. LutherBrookdaleToyota.com is the best place to find out uh, contact info and all the new specials. And again, it's on the corner of 694 and Brooklyn Boulevard. TCL is a proud sponsor of the Score North Studios. Enjoy more of the things you love with TCL. These two guys have Minnesota sports flowing in their veins. Mackie and Judd on Score North and scorenorth.com. Didn't know anything about Sammy Sosa until he had 20 home runs in June. The Maris record was hallowed ground. If it was easy, broken a long time ago. People were desperate for a feel-good story. In retrospect, there was a price to pay for it. All right, in fairness, The Last Dance, the Michael Jordan documentary, 10 parts, that pretty much set the bar higher than any other 30 for 30 or documentary right. could ever reach. Don't so. apologize. Just start in. All right. Go ahead. Just pull off the Band-Aid. I watched it, too. I was so hopeful. It wasn't a train wreck. All right. It was It, it was at least nostalgic. And I'll tell you, the, the E60 episode with Sammy Sosa and Jeremy Schapp. Yeah, it's really good. That was actually better than the than the uh, Long Gone Summer pre- documentary. Because Schapp pressed him. So Sh- Jeremy Schapp is Oh, my God. And his dad that dude was great, is brilliant. too. So, yeah. J- Jeremy Schapp, ESPN. He can talk any way he wants, man. So he is good. He's had this relationship with Sosa for like 20 or 25 years, going back, I think going back to like the mid-1990s. And he sits down in this E60, and he, he sits across from Sammy Sosa, and he butters him up for, I don't know how long they wound up sitting down for, but he butters him like, the, the whole point of him sitting down with Sammy Sosa was to ask him the steroid question, right? Right. But he clearly spent like 20 or 30 minutes like, yeah. hey, buddy, you know, oh, tell me about 98. What was it like? Hey, when you hit your 66, this and this and all. And then, and then he goes, um, did you take steroids? And he presses him, and then Sosa leaves. And, and then Sosa comes back, and they have a discussion. It's, it's uncomfortable because Sammy Sosa clearly does not want to admit in an era where a lot of guys were doing a lot of things that baseball did not care about or test for. And and Sammy Sosa is the is the one guy, well, Barry Bonds as well, that just has refused to go into that conversation. There's probably a lot of them, actually. But, yes, yeah, so Sammy, um, I think the word delusional is correct. I think he's completely... Is like, he delusional or is, yeah, he just, is he just not... No, wanna... I think he's delusional because I think for any... I think Palmero and Sammy are delusional. And, and I think... Because McGuire, McGuire came out, basically sat down either thought to himself or with a confidant years ago and basically said, okay, you know what? Everybody knows it's, it's done, right? Sammy, even last night is talking like the summer of 98 just ended. He's talking like it's November of 98 still. He is delusional. He also still thinks he looks, he, he still thinks that he's like got the physique and the look. Remember he made that comment to Jeremy Schapp in the E60, you know, Schapp's asking him about, hey, your complexion looks way different. People are criticizing you because you, you look like, you don't look like you did in the 1990s. Mm-hmm. You just have much lighter complexion now. And he, mm-hmm. he has, and he has talked throughout the years about using this, uh, this sort of face lotion that has bleach in it. And so basically he bleaches his skin, but. At one point he goes, and I, you know, I do it because I look like I'm 17 still. And Jeremy Schapp's like, 
Dude, no, 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 you don't. He's no. like, what, thirty five? And Shep's like, all right, whatever, no. whatever, whatever you need to tell you, Sammy. It's cool, but no. <laughs> he seems like a very McGuire seems very much at peace with all of it, but still a little bit regretful that that I don't know. I don't know if Mark McGuire regrets doing steroids. I think Mark McGuire regrets that he was the figurehead in an era that did steroids. I think M- Mark McGuire regrets being caught but is smart enough to know he got caught he's he's basically a guy doing his time and and if he he was a criminal the reporters come to him and he's like yeah i robbed the bank and killed two people okay (laughs) but you know what i mean man was i good at one time where where sammy is just never going to basically face facts he just can't he can't and but back to the two-hour documentary that we all watched last night, Long Gone Summer. Here's my here's my synopsis very quickly, Phil Mackey. It reminded me if um if I had a eight-year-old son and I said, I want you to go write a book report on the summer of ninety-eight. I want you to unearth, you know, do all you can, but you're eight. So I get it, it's not gonna be. And so I sat down last night and watched that thing, and it looked like a visual report on that summer like i expected an inner weaving of the then and the now and the ramifications like i thought they were going to weave the whole thing together maybe not to completely break new ground but to at least give me an updated look at what that looks like 22 years after the fact and instead as you said basically what i got was a two-hour long sports center off of the summer of 98 with everybody's home runs and that was fun. It was like that part of it was fun. That's the most fun I've ever had watching baseball. I was a Twins fan and a Cubs fan throughout the 90s. And that documentary brought me personally back to the peak of my baseball fandom as a teenager. And 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 the summer that brought baseball back into the mainstream. And then the Yankees became a dynasty again. And baseball was awesome for like the next five or ten years, basically. But I keep going back and thinking, all right, if someone after 20 years is going to do a deep dive into the most prominent summer of baseball ever and also the most controversial summer of baseball ever, shouldn't we spend more than five minutes unearthing some of the different things that we have questions about? Like what? Like there are so many things. The, the number one thing I have questions about, aside from to what degree did Sammy Sosa use performance enhancing substances? And I think just looking at his physique and his numbers, I mean, we can assume that he definitely benefited from them. I want to know, and I and I would think by now, someone would come out with a 30 for 30 or something that would give us this answer, and this would have been the perfect spot. Okay, what percentage of players were doing something? Like, what, let's, let's really unearth the behind-the-scenes culture of baseball in and around 1998. Because I think where we all struggle with the steroid era is we don't really know where to put certain people, right? Okay, mm-hmm. well... Certain guys have admitted it. Certain guys haven't. Certain guys are probably in the Hall of Fame and have never even been suspected of it. BGO is a guy that I think is very questionable, you know, based on nothing other than the era he played in. But I think that suspicion is warranted. Mm -hmm. And I want to know, did 90% of guys have something? Was it 10%? Because if it's 90%, I think our entire, like if it's 10%, all right, those guys, then those 10% clearly had a ridiculous advantage on the rest of the league. I've heard, for, and we've even had uh, a former Twins minor league player. I think it was Andy Persby, and he came on the show, like, used his name and everything. Um, and he said when he was in the minor leagues in the early 2000s, at least 50% of players were using something. At least 50%. And so if the number is 50 to 75%, I think it changes the way that we view that era, and I think it changes the candidacy of a Sosa, a McGuire, a Bonds, a Roger Clemens. So, like, I want to know more, and that last night was like the storefront – well, you know, bubble, was bubble the, gum version yeah, last, of 1998. Last so. night was, though, wasn't that a lot of fun? Let's go back and watch those long home runs again. And right. were, were they assisted by something? Uh, well, well, within the last 10 minutes of tonight's show, we're going to give you the whole thing. Yeah, I sort of cheated. Okay. Um, if you went back and restructured that show completely, if somebody had come to you and said, what's your expectation of this show and how should it be structured? They had some of the right ideas, but they gloss past them. The summer of 98, along along with Cal Ripken breaking Lou Gehrig Street, helped in a major way save baseball Mm -hmm. because the 94 strike was a disaster. You lost the World Series. So 
I think what we could have done in trying to um, look at this now 22 years after the fact was you got to get Selig. You have to. And what you've got to do is put into context the fact that, and, and they brought this up, but they didn't address it in full. The fact that so many people, players, managers, executives, commissioners, media, turned a blind eye because they because basically they saw what was the fix for baseball. So, like, there is blame to go to just assess the blame on two players, as they uh, pointed out towards the end of the show last night, is ridiculous. You can't just blame two or three guys and be like, it's all their fault and they ruined baseball. No. But if they had spent two hours, and I'm not saying you don't show some of the bombs, okay? They're fun to watch. But if they had spent two hours sort of unearthing and juxtaposing 2020 and how people feel about that, especially especially now when we are on the precipice of baseball trying to ruin itself again, that's what I wanted because to a large degree, I've always said this, Phil, if you could go back in time, if you could go back to that summer, July or August, and say, okay, guys, I'm going to tell you exactly what's what here. Guys are cheating. This is really going to be bad. It's going to look bad. People are going to end up in front of Congress. I can stop this right now. And, like, it'll still be impressive home run totals, but I can stop this. And it's not going to be what it was going to be because I'm stopping it. And I went and I started at Bud Selig's office. He would probably have me shot. Yeah, he didn't want it stopped. No, nobody did. But but that's that's what I wanted. Oh, wait, Faye Vincent, the previous commissioner in the 80s into the early 90s, like into 91 or 92, whenever Bud took over, didn't want it to be stopped. In fact, I think, because one of the other questions surrounding the documentary last night, and, and I think my guess is the big talking point today is going to be, mm-hmm. should those dudes be in the Hall of Fame? Should Sammy Sosa, so McGuire's off the ballot now because he was... He was already on for his 10 years or whatever. Right. Uh, Bonds and Sosa, I believe, are into their eighth year, and you get 10, so into their eighth year of candidacy. So, you know, should those hitters, the three most prolific single-season home run hitters of all time, I think those are the three guys that have the three highest home run totals in single seasons in baseball history. Uh, They are the defining offensive players of their generation. Should they be in the Hall of Fame? I say yes. I I have steadfastly said Barry Bonds, with or without steroids, is one of the greatest players that ever stepped on a baseball diamond. He's just a no-brainer. Like, I just, you put him in, you make mention of it on his plaque, whatever you got to do. But Barry Bonds is one of the greatest baseball players of all time. Sosa McGuire, most of their value came through power, so I get that their candidacy is more in question because the thing that puts them into the Hall of Fame is also the thing that is at the red-hot center of this discussion. But if the Hall of Fame red tape is all about steroid use, You've got these different bins. Okay, McGuire admitted it. Sosa basic Sosa basically admitted it last night in the in the E sixty episode where where he's Jeremy Schaap has pressed him and said, Did you use performance enhancing drugs? And Sosa goes, I never tested positive. And this cat and mouse game goes back and forth like four different times. Yep. And and Schaap even goes, Well, there was a New York Times report that said you did test positive. Yep. And Sosa goes, well, I mean, he said something like, well, no. And Shaft goes, are you calling that report wrong? And Sosa goes, no, I'm not. You're saying it's wrong. It was just this weird cat and mouse dance. Confidential so, test, yes. Right. So Sosa basically admitted it without admitting it and said, listen, I never tested positive. I think the subtext there is, of course, I was using something, but baseball didn't have a policy. Right. Uh, Bonds has denied it. But here's the amazing thing about that era from the late 80s until the early 2000s in Major League Baseball. From Faye Vincent... To Bud Selig mm-hmm. and the owners, all the way down to the to the managerial structure of the teams, to the players, the players association, nobody cared. Baseball didn't have a PED testing policy until 2005. They did not care. Even going back to the the amphetamine greenie era of the 60s, 70s, and 80s, where yeah. the dog days of summer, August and September, and there are Hall of Fame players like Mike Schmidt that are, I don't know if he's admitted it publicly. You put them in your coffee like, pot. Like the those dude, coffee pot had right, the greenies in them. Those dudes are hopped up on illegal drugs to just be like energetic and alert for games in September. Mm-hmm. You, you, you don't think that they got an extra 15 hits by being jacked up on amphetamines? Of course. Well, And, and in the case of back to the 60s, 70s, all through, what you were talking about, and this included steroids too, wasn't the ability just to be bigger. It was the ability to play every day. Recover. And yep. that was the most important thing. But 
baseball, look, if 98 doesn't happen, let's just strip it away. Let's say McGuire hits 50 home runs, and it's, you know, it's fun. What's the recovery like? I mean, people don't recall now. 95 was a disaster. 1995, people had turned on baseball as badly as they're probably going to turn on baseball again if we, we don't have a 2022 season, which is very possible at this point. But what's the recovery like? And that's why baseball yeah. ignored it. And that and that and that's where that, to me, becomes the question of a documentary. Yes. Is if you could change it, would you? Because McGuire and Sosa gave you gave you games that Fox on, I believe, by the end, weekdays, was putting into prime time its schedule, and people were devouring it and watching it. It it say it helped save the sport. So if my question is, I can wipe it all out, but it's all going to change. Yeah, I don't think there's any businessman worth his salt who's going to be like, yeah, okay, you know what? For the sanctity, people have have paid a dear price as individuals for what occurred in '98. But the reality is everybody profited from it, and and the hypocrisy is nobody, I don't think, would take it back. Dude, here is, this is, if you and I were going to create a new documentary, all right, we would definitely show the bubblegum clips and the and Sammy Sosa hitting moonshots on Dwayne Avenue and stuff, and Mark McGuire yes, hitting 14 home runs in the last two days of the season. Like he, That dude hit six home runs, or five or six home runs, the last two or three days of the season to get to 70, yeah. which is amazing. And he was like, he had told Tony La Russa three times, like, I can't play on Sunday. I can't do this anymore. And he comes, plays on Sundays, and hits two bombs. Like, that's, like, it, it was fun to relive. But if we were going to create a new documentary, I would start with this summation here. This is actually from, um, let's see here. I got this from Wikipedia, but it's from, I believe, a New York Times report that just sort of uh, encapsulates the steroid era from the early 90s all the way through. In 1991, Commissioner Faye Vincent sent a memo. I'm going to stop real quick. When I read this, think about if you were a player in Major League Baseball, okay, yeah. and you're fighting tooth and nail to become a major leaguer, to make money. Sammy Sosa comes from nothing in the Dominican Republic. Nothing. Like, they showed his hometown. They showed some of the ball fields and things that uh, that those guys play on. All right? In 1991, Commissioner Faye Vincent sent a memo to all teams stating that steroid use was against the rules except he didn't make any official rule changes. So he sends a memo in the early 90s that says, all right, I can sense that there's some things happening here. We got these Bash brothers in Oakland, and they got this this guy, Lenny Dykstra, with the Phillies that looks like he ate four blocks of granite for breakfast every morning in the offseason. Yep. So clearly, clearly something, the guys look a little bit different. Something's happening here. Yep. So uh, steroids are, are a no-go. Okay, what, what, so what are the rule changes? Oh, there are none. So Faye Vincent said this memo was intended as a moral statement to the players rather than a legal statement. And keep in mind, too, though, that that is and, and I think Faye is a very smart guy, but an old school guy. This is coming out of, I, I believe, two years after Pete Rose's gambling scandal. And so at that time and now to look back, it's an incredibly naive stance. But I think at that time, th- there was this hope of, hey, look at what Pete did. You are going to use your morals, your best judgment, right. not not to cheat this great grand game of, of ours, La Sporta Baseball. So he said, quote, Faye Vincent, the commissioner before Bud Selig, said in 1991, quote, when I left baseball, or he said this later on, but when I left baseball, there was no written policy on drug activity in the sport. The 1991 memo did not ban the use of steroids. Steroids were banned in 2005. Yeah. And then HGH was banned in 2011. And so this is my this is my feeling on it. And this is why I think those guys are Hall of Famers. You just, and if you want to make mention, you know, hey, Mark McGuire admitted to doing performance dancing drugs or Sammy Sosa was reportedly tested positive via a New York Times article, put it on the damn plaque and just be done with it. Because if baseball wasn't even policing it or testing for it until 2005, if baseball didn't care, if the owners didn't care, mm-hmm. if none of the stakeholders cared, the commissioners didn't care, mm-hmm. why are we trying so hard to continue a witch hunt from the 1990s? Let's make it easy, okay? If you're one of the greatest players of your era, mm-hmm. period, if you did greenies in the 70s or the 80s, or you did some sort of steroid or 
Uh, like Mark McGuire had had a bottle of Andro in his locker, was which was like a big, human growth hormone that deal. Was a big deal back then. And yeah. he like and, and baseball like so did not think or care about this stuff. That dude in the middle of an historic home run chase, yep. had a bottle of it in his locker with seventy reporters standing around. Not because he was like, oh my god, I forgot to take it out of my locker. Because it was it, to him, it was I just t- these are the vitamins I take in the morning. It's, this is not a banned substance. And I am so hopped up on other <laughs> HGH, muscle milk. Right. I don't even care anymore. So if you're one of the greatest players of your era, you're in. If you want to make mention on the plaque of like a little stain, that's fine. In the testing era, to me, if you test positive once, all right, there might be an argument. If you test positive a second time, you are ineligible for the Hall of Fame. And that's how we dictated to the writers. The writers are the ones that have to like sit here and play police officer. Well, should Sammy Sosa get in? Well, I don't know. I mean, there was a New York Times article. He's got big arms. Everyone had big arms. Like some of those video games that Declan and I played when we were kids, like oh, all yeah. the players looked like they were eating two by well, fours for Brady lunch. Anderson hit 50 bombs one year. <laughs> My God, Jermaine, Jermaine Dye went from a guy right. who was just average or below that to a basically all-star. I, the, the, the entire 90s is filled with stories that are just as disturbing, if that's the right word, and it's probably not, as as um, Palmero and McGuire and Sosa or more so. But the other thing that I sort of don't get about the entire Hall of Fame debate with these players, too, is it's totally subjective, right? We don't We don't know a lot, but we know some things. But if you're going to do this subjectively and be like, okay, you know, he, I think he got caught and he didn't get caught, blah, 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 blah. Okay, let's go down that course or d- go down that path. Barry Bonds is a Hall of Famer mm-hmm. because I could take, I could suck every bit of juice from his body, put him back in Pittsburgh, and that guy is going to have Ken Griffey Jr. or better, and I emphasize better, his career. He's better. Okay. Yeah. We also, no question we also, about that. We also like, I mean, we know that the steroids benefited Barry Bonds. We don't know if it benefited him 100 home runs or 300 home runs. And we don't know if Ken Griffey did or did not take steroids. Correct. Too. We like draw a line over some people that are just mythical people that they, there's no way they ever did this. Correct. Yeah, and, and but the thing with Bonds is let's say let's take 200 home runs from his total. Let's just wipe them out. Guess what? Hall of Fame player. Yeah. He still is. Um, second guy, McGuire, okay? He wouldn't have played in as many games without steroids, almost certainly. And let's take some home runs away from him, but he still is going to hit a ton of bombs. I think he's very much borderline, but I think he gets in. The only guy that I can say that if I suck the steroids from his body because I saw him play before I think he started to use is Sosa. But again, it's like it's all sort of right, but licking I mean, your finger and putting it but in the air. But that's what this is. It's all guessing. But, but the fact that but Bond's not being... And this guy was a jerk. Among the three guys that we're talking about, Sosa was great. He was fun to watch. He had fun. McGuire was surly, but Bonds was a first-class bleep hole, right? But you still have to put Bonds in. So if we are going to do that and lick our finger and stick it up in the wind, Bonds has to go in. I think McGuire probably gets in, and Sammy probably doesn't. But we can't even get there. But I digress. I would have liked a bit more meat on the bone last night. And and here, here's where I knew I was screwed. They teased, and it's a great soundbite, they teased as part of the highlight for the show the Costas comment about, oh, yeah. and there was a price Dude, to pay. We had some classic Costas last night. Okay, but here's Pretentious the problem. Pretentious Costas. Uh, and I love that Costas, but the problem with that Costas was that clip, I think, came at something like 9.46 my time. <laughs> I'm like, that's what it's going to... I thought hour two of this show would sort of slow things down yeah. and be like the ramifications. When when that Costas bit didn't play by 9.30, I said, okay, we we ain't getting the meat of the steroid here. here. There should have been an hour just on Sammy Sosa's wardrobe, by the way. Oh, yeah. He's great. Can we, ju- can we just do an hour of him in those... He hasn't changed a bit. ...colored suits? Yeah, and- the way he talks, it's just... It's painful. He loves himself some Sammy Sosa. Yes. I'm happy. Yeah. I'm happy, and when, I'm happy guy. And he's got this little like dark cryptic side. So you watch him and they show the clips of him at the podium with McGuire in 98. And, and he loves himself some Sosa then too. Cause he'll even say things like, you know, you know, Michael Jordan is the man in Chicago, but uh, I'm right there next to him. And then you kind of laugh, you know, like yeah. to diffuse it, but, but it's fun. But then, so he always had kind of this, you know, he, he's uh, he loves himself some Sosa. He's definitely arrogant and definitely uh, above the rules in his mind. But then he's got this this dark cryptic when when Jeremy Shap starts pressing him, 
and he looks in the, and then he starts calling him my friend, my friend, and he yeah. and he starts calling him like. And he's and he gets this kind of look in his eye, like, yeah. is that what trying to tell me. <laughs> you knew that's the, that's like the fourth time ever he's done an interview since 2004. By the way, if he was, just hasn't done anything. If there was any question about if Sosa cheated and and look, his body changed, so clearly we all think he did. But if there had been any question, and if Sosa years ago should have said to himself, you know what, I should probably come clean. It's when a guy who had had the success that Sosa had used the cork bat. That's when we all said, oh, you are a fraud, aren't you, my friend? Yeah, you're doing roids like, and corking your bat. You're corking your bat, the old corking the bat. Okay, to what degree do you believe? So they did They did investigate all of his other bats, and that was the only one with cork in it? No. It's, do, you th- how, do, you think he hits, do you think he was using a corked bat when he hit 66 home runs? Probably. Yeah. He probably was. Yes. Probably. Not, for all, not for all of but, those bats, but yeah. But I think the most important question in this room and outside is this. Very simple. Do you really care? No, it was fun. I, that's what I was going to say. It's, well, it's fun. Like his kids, would you guys, if you could go back now and be like, we're going to play it fair and square, no one's going to cheat. And the only reason. Or no one's going to use, yeah. you know, PEDs. The only reason why it's built up into such a big deal is because we care so much about the statistics. Yes. Football players, look at football players in the 80s. My God. I mean, <laughs> like right. some of those dudes were foaming at the mouth with steroids in the 1980s. And we were like, oh, whatever. I mean, like, yeah, he racked up five extra sacks. Awesome. He ripped a quarterback's well, head off. And Mark Astro, what are you Punted kidding? it down the field. Mark like, Astro, the single season <laughs> sack record for years. Why? Because he was so good. And oh, yeah, he had a little juice. Who is that guy? Okay. Uh, Lyle Alzado. Yeah. If you're listening cancer. right now, Declan, can you Google Lyle Alzado? Actually, you know what? I'll, I'll do he it. I had a I'll brain cancer. Up here. And I, I think blamed his use of steroids on the fact. Of why you got it? I'll do it. I'll pull it up on the screen that you that the three of us are sharing. Okay, so like this dude, uh, there's no good, there's no like you, Phil, before after you, pictures. You could basically call up the entire roster of the 1980s Raiders, and you would see guys <laughs> right. that looked like that. He looked like what was that game? NFL Blitz for like yeah. Sega Genesis or Love something Blitz. in the 90s, where yes. e- every player was just like had like a 14-pack of abs and ripped. Like, that's what the Raiders looked like in the 80s. Mm-hmm. No one cared because there wasn't a sacred home run record or a sacred batting average, like 400. We are so obsessed with making sure that the statistics of one era in baseball align perfectly with the statistics of a different era. In football, we don't care. We just don't. By the way, so how do you not ask Roger Maris's kid, in hindsight, you a little bit upset? Yeah, they interviewed his kid, yeah, and they I mean, didn't even got, ask, like, do you think this is fraudulent? How can you ask that question? I mean, it's Maris's kid. He, uh, Mark Who Ma- looks like Maris? Maguire, yeah. <laughs> Maguire broke the record, hopped over the wall, and hugged your whole family. Yeah. And celebrated in tears with you. How do you feel watching this back? I mean, they, they didn't ask Let's Maguire's kid, and Maguire's kid's <laughs> in his 20s now, right? Like, how do you right. feel about your dad? Oh, and yeah. well, and that, That's not a tough question. How do you feel about what your dad's gone through, right? Like, sure. no, no one asked him that. Sure. It was just like, hey, talk about summer 98. Right. Can I stand up for Sammy Sosa one more time real quick here? Because people act like people, I feel like the tone of the documentary and the tone of it was like, oh, like he came out of nowhere in 1998 and just like, who, like it was like a Brady Anderson situation. Yeah, it's not entirely He true. only made one all-star game. Sammy Sosa starting in 1993 was one of the best players in, one of the best offensive players in baseball. Mm-hmm. He was a pretty good defensive outfielder for a while too. He was a 30-30 guy in 1993 with the Cubs. Another 30-30 season in 1995 and an All-Star game. He drove in 119 runs in 95, 119 96. By the way, that 1995 season, 20 games off the schedule because that was they came back in like May, right? And so he plays 20 fewer games and still hits 36 bombs, 119 RBIs you know. in 1995, three years beforehand. So I'm not saying My he wasn't on PEDs, team. but... Benefited quite a bit from Sammy Sosa's exploits. So he didn't just like pop up out of nowhere. I'm also just defending the fact that like I had Sammy Sosa posters in my bedroom and I'm trying to cling to something here. The the documentary very much turned into sort of this McGuire documentary and then he was followed by other people, including Sammy. And then and then it was basically and Sammy and him made a good team and they were funny together on the podium. Right. It would look. It's not a waste of time. It was a fun two hours to watch, okay? I just thought it was going to be a little bit more of a... If I criticized The Last Dance in any way, shape, or form, which I think I probably did a couple times, I'd now like to apologize 
because that was the most Mike Wallace hard-hitting 60-minute ever documentary compared to what we saw last night. Yeah. Um, one last thing real quick here that I, I just found on Baseball Reference. So the 98 season is the one that we all look at, right? Because it's the, what's the one that set the record. Yes, sir. You guys ever look at Sammy Sosa's 2001 statistics? Oh, that's insane. I was looking at this last night so, as well. So, again, this is all steroid-fueled, but this dude... This dude put up in 1998. This dude put up ridiculous record-breaking numbers that would have would have broken records in any other season if not for the fact that Mark McGuire was also doing it. And he right? was the MVP in '98, right? So, so he was. Yep. Yeah. He drove. He had 66 bombs, driven 158, and, uh, and batted 300. Yep. 2001. Okay. He hits 64 home runs, drives in 160, scores 146 runs, and bats 328. With a 437 on base percentage yep. and a 733 love, slugging percentage. Love, baby. And was second in MVP voting because that was the year Barry Bonds hit like 174 home runs. Yeah. Just ridiculous. Oh, it's bridesmaid, man. <laughs> okay. Okay, question for you guys. Um, last dance, Armstrong doc of, of a couple weeks ago, McGuire Sosa. Biggest psychopath because I think it's easy. Lance. Lance. I haven't seen Lance, but I'm just going to assume it's Lance. Dude, Lance, Lance, is a, Lance is a sociopath. Yeah. Jordan, Maguire, and Sosa look like us compared to Lance. Maguire actually, of all of those documentaries and all the figures, Maguire is like the most, I would say, like the guy that you can kind of relate to the most and the guy that you can sort of feel bad he for. He looks like, bit, yeah. Right? Yeah. Like he just was, you know, he, I do believe that Mark Maguire would have hit ridiculous amounts of home runs. Mm-hmm. I don't. I, in fact, the year that he hit seventy, I think he probably hits sixty-two without steroids if he stays healthy. Right, but and that's, that's the a, thing. Like, just, that's does he, he stay healthy, yep. etc. But, uh, but like Lance Armstrong, yes. it was four hours. It was, it was a four-hour documentary split into two parts, and Lance Armstrong basically spent the entire four hours fake apologizing and then crapping on the people that ruined his life, even though he's the one that like ruined other people's life. Absolutely. It's like super weird, but, twisted, insecure. But like the, jo- the Jordan weird, the, the weird competitive stuff on Jordan, it's like Lance took that up or took that and said, you know what I'm going to do, Michael? I'm going to turn that up to a 10. Like it was yeah. really, really yeah. dark. I, uh, I thought. I was I was kind of hoping that the Bruce Lee one would be. I, I got like 30 minutes into the Bruce Lee one. And I didn't it was watch just, it was, that one. It I was heard, like, yeah, I heard conflicting reports that it wasn't very good. It wasn't. It was mostly B-roll and... Yeah. It was almost like they just took a bunch of B-roll and hodgepodge together a bunch of his Gotta famous Got to get those documentaries turned out, Phil Mackey. Yeah. Need programming. Um, we should uh, we should definitely hop into this. We're headed toward a 50-game season here. Like, the, the if you're the Twins, your other teams, you're going to – this is just train wrecking. And it sounds like the owners today in Major League Baseball are going to meet on a conference call and figure out, all right, are we going to are we gonna make an actual counteroffer or right. are we going to uh, – or are we going to just implement a 50-game schedule? So two-part question for you guys. Part one, how do you feel about a 50-game schedule or 48 or whatever it's going to be? And part two, what percentage of, if we have a pie chart of blame here, and it's just owners and players, so those are the only two, you, you have to split up two pieces of pie. Where do you put the blame? Owners, players. Part two, first or part one? Go ahead, whatever you want. Um, 50 game, if it's going to land anywhere south of 60 games, and I'm not big on 60, but if it's 50, it's fraudulent. I mean, I'll still watch because it's sports and it's baseball. So it's not as if I'm going to decide not to watch. Um, but that being said, if you're going to play 48 to 50 games or something like that, uh, and you, you win the world series, you know, enjoy your, enjoy your small trophy because I hope you, you don't get the, the real one. It's a complete joke, um, which I've said since this started because it's just 80 games I'm fine with. But if you go less than that, I put the pie chart of blame. I put seven, I put 80% on the owners and the league itself and 20 on the players. And here's why the owners and the league are supposed to be the stewards of this game. They're supposed to be the ones who, when the sacrifice has to be made, um, and to use their own words, they keep saying, you know, the players don't get it. It's, it's a pandemic. It's it's a difficult time. Well, that's when you step up and you take the reins and you take control. And it might hurt, but you are in charge of this game and, and its health. Players come and go, but a lot of players get done playing baseball. And guess what? Don't give a damn about baseball. And that's fine. 
they served their, their purpose, and it's relatively quickly in this grand scheme of things. The owners and the commissioner are supposed to serve this game for the purpose of of the greater good of the game. And I know that's Pollyanna, and it's probably naive, but it's the truth. And so I can't help but put this squarely back on the people who are supposed to look after this game, care about it for the fans, and clearly right now, especially when it leaks out on Saturday night that they have agreed to a new television deal with Turner that I believe is worth something like a billion dollars, when things like that come out, it looks so bad, 80% at the very least goes on the people who run the game. So I... I I was in the 80-20 camp for a long time. I'm kind of more in the 60-40 now, actually. So this is this maybe this is a hot take. I still blame the owners more because they are richer. They are able to pretty much implement whatever they want. I mean, if they wanted to implement a 70-game season, they could. So I, I 60% of this goes on owners for not. Also, you know, the owners are only thinking about the short-term losses here. Well, we're going to lose $3 billion this year. Well, yeah, but like if you don't play a meaningful season, you're going to lose a lot more in future revenue, too. Look what happened in 1995, 1996. I don't know that there is a 1998 summer coming along in 2021 or something to save your sport again. Mm-hmm. So have a long view. And and and, and I, I put, you know, in terms of blame to the owners, I'm also lumping in their general lack of vision and innovation and letting a sport stagnate with the young audience. And, and this is all sort of in the same bin for me why I'm blaming the owners. But the reason I'm putting 40% on the players is because if you start to look at the math on this, so Major League Baseball, according to Forbes, brought in $10 billion in revenue in 2019. And they are set to bring in more like 6 or $7 billion in 2020 because there's no fans in the stadiums. Now, they're being propped up by the billion-dollar TV deals, ESPN, Turner, Fox. They are bringing in billions of dollars in national TV revenue. And teams are also bringing in tens of millions of dollars. Some of the teams like the Yankees are bringing in hundreds of millions of dollars in local TV revenue. But the point is, owners are taking like a three or four billion dollar bath relative to what they would be bringing in in uh, in other years. And so, like for the players to sit here and act like, well, I mean, like, no, they haven't opened their books, but they're taking a multi-billion dollar bath on this. And what they're asking the players to do is like, hey, just take a little bit more of a haircut so we can bring this thing back. To 70 or 80 games. Mm Because what's happening right now is the players want to play as many games as possible. They'd love to play 100 games. They feel like, hey, let's cram 100 games, play doubleheaders. Let's just cram 100 games into three months. The owners only want to pay the players for 50 games because they feel like they're already losing billions of dollars. Like if we pay you for 100 games, we're going to lose even more money. We're not bringing in any money because there's no fans in the stands. So the owners are asking the the players to play 70 games but only get the pay of 50 And so we're really arguing about like a 20 game gap in pay. And what I would say to the players is, listen, guys, like I totally get it. Ultimately, like you'd want the billionaires to take the bath first, but they kind of are like they're losing three or four billion dollars in revenue. And I am not a stand up for the billionaire in this situation kind of a guy. But I do feel like the players could take one more step forward and just get what they want, which is a 70 or 80 game season. Then then open your books. It's very simple. Yeah. You won't. And, and the thing, the thing that is a baseball fan that's despicable about what they're doing is they are doing nothing on either side with the 2020 season truly in mind. This is all nothing more than posturing for when the CBA is up on December 20, December 1st, 2021, which is now going to lead to almost certainly a lockout to start and potentially wipe out the 2022 season. This is. This is nobody gives a damn about the game, and I at least want the people who run the game to act like they care. And and the problem here is, and I don't know how they feel that they can afford to do this, if fans are just stupid or what in their minds, but they are flipping the bird to the fans. They're basically saying, screw you. And by doing that, at some point in time, with the price of sports, the price of tickets, the price of beer, and, and the fact that we are going to come back at some point in time here, post-pandemic, um, with people financially having to make very difficult decisions about disposable income, how baseball can sit there and take its middle finger and throw it at the fans and basically be like, but you'll come back. Okay. Good luck. Hope they do. 
Can't guarantee that, yeah, though. There's a level of obliviousness with the owners that... But, I mean, that's the thing about this is it's on them, it's on them no matter what the players do because the players are the children here. It's on them as the parents to be like, this is what we have to do to save our house. Yeah. And instead they're like, oh, no, 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 no. We want to beat you. And, and, Phil, last thing, my fear on this is that Manfred and the boys are looking at what other sports do, namely football. And they're saying it's high time that we that we try and break what has probably been the most structured and strongest for a long time, Players Association in sports, and that we get ours and we get a, a lot of that. And that's going to lead to huge problems. And again, it's going to come at the sacrifice of screw the fans. It just sucks that we're sitting here publicly during a pandemic and during uh, a, an international really discussion about racial injustice. People are losing their jobs at a rate we haven't seen since the great depression. And what this boils down to is you've got two groups of people fighting over a $6 billion chunk of pie. Yes. Instead of a $10 billion chunk of pie, which is what it was last year. Last year, they were fighting over a $10 billion chunk of pie. And now it's like, all right, now there's 6 billion. Um, you know, how can we divvy this up in a way that makes everyone happy uh, on the 50 game season thing? I do disagree with you in this regard. It is, I will say uh, it is not a true representation of what the standings would ordinarily look like. It takes more than 50 games in baseball to play out what the standings should look like. Mm-hmm. It doesn't 50 games doesn't reward or punish the teams that it should like it would over 160. But if you're a team that gets in, the playoffs are pretty much going to be the same. Like it's not going we're not going to have like coin flip playoff games throughout. Right. You're going to get playoff series. And so right. If you're the Minnesota Twins and you were expected to be a playoff team in the first place and you still make it through a sprint of 50 games to the playoffs, yep. if you're if you're going to get to the playoffs, once the playoffs start, I don't think we should discredit a team that was originally going to get there. If Now, if a team that like wasn't supposed to be in gets in and eliminates another team because of freak luck, if the Pirates get in because baseball is weird in 50 games, right. And they eliminate the Dodgers because baseball is also weird in five games and seven games. Then I will have a problem with it. If the Twins wind up playing the Yankees or, uh, you know, name another contender, the Oakland A's or somebody like they originally were supposed to at the beginning of a 162 game season, I will not have a problem with it. I will still consider it a meaningful postseason. Give them their town team trophy and send them home. I have no interest in a 50. It, it, it's a job. I will watch, but it's a joke. It's not a true representation. It's it's baseball. We'll, I mean, the I'll Washington, take baseball back. Oh, so, so will I. But the Washington Nationals, after 50 games in 2019, were dead in the water, and they won the World Series. Agreed. I mean, you play 162 for a very good reason. And the 2011 Twins, 99 loss 2011 Twins, had the best record in baseball for a 50-game stretch between like June 3rd and the end of the like the trade deadline or something. So it is, My it, hot it, it take is weird. With that we we don't have to discuss right now is this. There is a formula for Falvey, Levine, and the boys to be all in, all in for 2021. And that's going to be hard because that's to, gonna, to be all in. I think we should right. talk about that tomorrow because there is a, I think there's a great case to be made that you go for broke in 21. And go for broke is a funny way of phrasing that because a lot of baseball teams it's, are going to be stripping payroll for 2021, well, no including slip, the Minnesota Twins. That was no slip up on my part. The Twins will not have a $140 million payroll in 2021. There's no way. Not with revenue coming down to like $6 Agreed. million. No, you're right. So, um, well, we'll see what happens. I think by the time people are listening to this today, we may even have some finality on what the hell is going to happen. The going Players forward, Association... But- when they got the last proposal, basically said, we're done talking. Just tell us when and where. And I think they tried to mandate that it was by the end of the day, Monday. Yeah. And now, of course, of course, uh, baseball's come back and be like, oh, we'll tell you when. Now you won't tell us when. And yeah. it's a bunch of BS. We have two more things to get to on our show here today. Quarantine Discoveries is back because we've had some we've had members of the show make some progress in how comfortable they are going back into society. Progress. So we'll. uh that progress. I think that makes one person on yeah. the show. <laughs> no. I have an admission that I will make in a second. What'd you do? Oh, good God. I'm sitting in the same room with you. <laughs> and a random season recall. But let's talk about Federated here. Federated provides top-notch coverage and peace of mind for business owners. Twin Cities business owners, a lot of things have changed in the last 90 days, and restrictions are being lifted now through this pandemic and it's possible things are going to change 
again, on, on the, the other side of summer or fall, this is just one of the most insane years in our lifetimes. And so if you're a business owner, not only are you our community partners, our neighbors, our families, and our friends and people that we want to succeed, but when you need Federated as a business owner, Federated is here to help. Go to federatedinsurance.com or call your local marketing representative to access trusted resources you may need. At Federated Mutual Insurance Company, it's our business to protect yours. Stuck in the house all weekend. No sports to watch. It makes Mackie, Judd, and Rami something, something. Go crazy. Don't mind if I do. Well, okay, not quite. At least not yet. It's time for Mackie, Judd, and Rami's Quarantine Discoveries. All right, we're bringing this bag. It's been a while. It's been three months since COVID basically shut down the country and sports. There's been reopenings, and uh, I think it's time for us now that we've now that we've got some live sports back on TV. Let's go around the room here. What are some things that you guys discovered this weekend, or steps that you took in your quarantine evolution here to re to re uh, emerge back into society? Or if you're Judd, maybe you didn't. I saw Judd was watching golf this. I weekend, watched golf yeah, all you, weekend Judd. long. That's all I, I did, basically. Golf. No, I actually, no. On Before golf, on Saturday, I watched Bundesliga as well. Wow. I don't know who he is anymore. I watched two parts of two games, two matches on the pitch, by the way. And then I watched golf on Saturday. I, I'd watch some golf on Thursday. I didn't watch golf on Friday. And then I watched the entire thing on Sunday. So, I'm now, become, drama. so I'm now become a big golf Where guy. did, maybe I was like just completely out of it on Saturday, which I'll get to in a minute. Um, but where did Bryson DeChambeau come from? Was he in the lead going into Sunday? Uh, well, he came, no. from the, he came from the gym. He has, gained, he, from. he has gained 25 pounds, though, man. And it's all, according to our friend Jim Nance, hello, friends, it's all muscle. It's all biceps. It's and all triceps. muscle. My guess? Good Lord. Summer of 98? <laughs> it's 55 home runs now. Yeah, Bryson DeChambeau has just been bored for three months, lifting weights. <laughs> He's never going to get into day. the Golf Hall of Fame at this rate. <laughs> Uh, I also watched a lot of golf, and I will admit something in a, in a second here that I need your judgment on. But Declan, you uh, looks like you you've been enjoying some things that yeah. might require some coronavirus testing. Uh, I don't know about that. Um, I did do some patio hopping on Saturday. Wait, hopping? Yeah, hopping. But how many from a distance. How, how many patios did you go to? Three. Don't you need <laughs> reservations or no? Uh, well, yeah, you can make reservations yeah. at the last second, though. Yeah, yeah. So, well, some only do walk-ins and some do reservations. Oh, okay. All right. Uh, I went to, so we went to Smack Shack because that only is taking walk-ins, and they said they were full, but they could put us on a list. Mm-hmm. So we went there. I left. We walked over to First Draft, which is also okay. in the North Loop. It's one of those, like, pour-your-own kind of places, which no germs, which is great. Like, it's me touching it. Fine. It's sanitized. But other people are touching it. No, no, no. They have a great system. Like, it's these little, like, fobs. You know, like that's how you initiate the pour. And then they are sanitized before you get there. They give them to you. It's you that is touching them. I actually prefer that over someone else doing it. Okay. So we started there. Okay. Then we went to Smack Shack, had a couple drinks, drinks at Smack Shack, and then I closed at Red Rabbit, which has extended their patio with like a bunch of picnic tables out into the parking lot of like Choice. <laughs> um, oh, I've seen that at places. Has, yeah. has Choice opened back up yet? Are they doing I, like know, a hot dog buffet I, in I the meant, back parking lot? I meant lot? to go check it out, but uh, after the third stop on the patio and i was already pretty feeling pretty good at about nine o'clock by that point uh i decided not to go into choice if you go to choice does it still cost 20 bucks to get the lap dance or do because they're standing six feet from you can you you know just give a couple bucks that's a great question now is that'll be my next quarantine discovery for this weekend is indoor seating at restaurants a thing now with yes a limited yeah. capacity is that Correct. where we've is that where we've gone 50 percent capacity okay and and usually that means uh, moving the seats so that you like you can't sit close to somebody else. Right? Okay, that's um, correct. So how comfortable as you patio hopped? How comfortable did you feel? I felt pretty comfortable. I like I was sanitizing and washing my hands a lot. I had a mask on, so when I went to go into the bathroom, I'd wear a mask. So like I was definitely taking precautions, and yeah, I felt fine. It felt good to be out on a patio for the first time basically all summer. So I I really dug it. And it was gorgeous. What perfect weather. It was perfect it was. outside. So perfect that uh, my wife and I spent two hours on the Applebee's patio oh in Hopkins God. on Saturday, gentlemen. Where's the Applebee's in Hopkins? It's off of like 7 and 169. It's kind yeah. of over by like, a, there's, like a, yeah. there's like a Target and a Cub Foods over there yeah. and there's an Applebee's. There's a lot of stuff happening over there. So at Rabbit, they have a time limit. They oh, will yeah. like, okay. they will kick you out at 90 minutes. What? The, yeah, they have a 90 minute time limit. And then even... Um, when I was there on Saturday, because I went there on Friday and Saturday. <laughs> on, on Saturday, 
we called from Smack Shack and they, we just asked if they had any openings coming up. And they were like, you know what? We're booked starting at 8. And I called it like 7.10. But he said, if you want to come and have a drink and leave at 8, you're more than welcome to. So we came and literally at 8 o'clock while we were still waiting for our bill, the hostess came up and was like, are you guys ready to go? You guys got to go. And we are like, we haven't had our check yet, but we will gladly leave once the check is given to us. So they will literally kick they you out after the time. Yeah. It's good. So I will say uh, in, in Applebee's, I don't know. I've So I've been to three patios now in the last two weeks. Applebee's, The Loop in St. Louis Park, yep. and Crave. Mm-hmm. Super comfortable. The tables are spread far apart, so you're not sitting really anywhere near. It's it's even like at a couple of these places, maybe all three of them, you're not even close to six feet. Like you're 15 feet from any other table. The servers have masks on and gloves on. They hand you paper menus that they throw away afterwards. So you're not like you're not sharing a menu with anybody. You're not sharing any space with anybody. It's like you walk out on your own front driveway and yeah. someone with a mask and gloves comes and just like brings you food. It's like takeout, but you're but you're sitting outside. And even like Smack Shack, they just have QR codes, so you just scan it. You take your camera on your phone, scan it, and it pulls up the menu, and then you just order from there. So you just on your phone, you on pull up phone. their menu, yeah, which also works great. And so I love this, and I actually think that this should be the way it is going forward. The one thing I hate, I love going out to eat. Like I, I'm a foodie, love going to restaurants, and I and there's nothing more annoying than when you get into one of these places that has like the long booths. And the and the little like two and four table setups that are all you know those like like the booths that sit all along a wall. Oh yeah. sure. Yeah. And then there's tables on the other side, yep. or there's chairs on the other side. Yep. And you're just cr- like you can't even have a you're closer to the person next to you than your wife or whoever's across the table from you, and you're just listening to everyone's conversations. Like make that a thing of the past. And I get that <laughs> I get that restaurants have to have a certain amount of people inside to make the pricing work and the profit margins work, but. If this means taking over sidewalks so we can have expanded seating outside and just space everybody out. All for it. Listen, I don't want to interact with anyone when I go to a restaurant other than the people I'm going there with. And quarantine, spring and summer here, I think has made this a possibility going forward. So it's great. Do you take the, in in the booths that you're talking about, do you take the um, the chair or do you take the booth side? Uh, I'm a booth side guy, but so is my wife. And so I always take the chair. Quick exit? Quick, yep. And and plus, I I can distance myself then on purpose. The booth you're tied in there. Yeah, that's true. You're that's a good point. You're, you're trapped. trapped. That chair you can move it if you don't like the person to your left. You can go to the right or vice versa. That's a good point. That's Big good chair point. guy. Um, but yes, those are annoying. So when are you what, like on a scale of one to ten? Ten being like, all right, I'm like I'm like Declan. I'm going to go patio hopping tomorrow. And one what? being, you're not going to leave your house for at least three more months. What, where are you at on the scale right now? Here's the thing. I'm not really nervous about going out like being out doesn't bother me now i wouldn't of course go and shake hands with people and give them a big smooch but it doesn't bother me that was me i'm sorry but i've gotten so lazy and i'm just happy and and i'm 50 man you know if i was 30 i would be out and about immediately but at my age now the quarantine life just sort of suits me I just don't mind it. So you're never going out again. So I I don't know when. <laughs> just take my write that down off if that's the point. And plus and plus I'm a bar guy. I'm a bar guy and I like and I don't like to be outside. So I like to be at the bar. So you're not a patio oh, okay. guy. Gotcha. I'm not a patio guy. So but the bar is dicey now because that's where people can shift towards you. And, yeah, the and, bar, the and bar, the bar is... has a lot of of derelicts. Okay, let's call a spade a spade. The bar, I like the bar and and I like to watch games at the bar, but there's a lot of dicey people that might vote for people that I don't vote vote for who like to sit at bars and smoke. And so they're going to infringe. You know that you know that they're going to. They're going to infringe to show you that they're tough. I don't need that crap. Ah, you know, I just thought of too when it comes to bars. I feel like the free popcorn machine is probably a thing oh, of the past, right? Good. Yeah. Oh, I bet you're right. And I'd you know lo- what? Love me some free the free popcorn might be dead forever. Yeah, I, I, that's a good point. It's very dicey. I mean, people are reaching in with that with the same handle. Can I ask a quick question though? In, in quarantine discovery here, what what is the human? And I don't think that this is an American problem. I think this is a human condition problem. What is our inability to accept the fact that when we come back from things like this, things have changed? And some people can do this, but a lot of people can't. And so there's just going to be differences. And so, like, I'm seeing all of these people who are, like, going back to, like, oh, pandemic's done. 
Like, why can't we be like, okay. It's very much not done, by the way. It's not. but Nor is it fake. But I'm glad that people are coming back to to businesses. That's great. Restaurants, that's great. But it feels like there's so there's a huge faction of society that's got got to be like, well, if it's done, it's done, and I'm just back. Yeah, this is very this is very predictable. Can you explain from, that. I think it was very predictable from the outset that we would just get super impatient once once we reached a certain point, and yeah. some of it's just like some of it's economics too. We we have to keep going, absolutely, and, and things have to open, and we just have to be smart. Yes, but there's there is a middle ground that I feel like people have skipped. It's like like there's a middle ground of, and and this is why I'm happy that these restaurant patios have taken so many great precautions. Um, like even at the Applebee's we went to, and by the way, don't don't Applebee's shame me, people. Okay? No, no, the app- chicken, the Oriental chicken salad is magical. And yeah. Great drink and specials at Applebee's. They now have an Oriental chicken salad wrap at Applebee's. Really? Well. Yeah. No one on the wow. show they is like mocking it. Applebee's. Good, yeah. So good. I'm with Declan. Too. And what they do is like so all the things that they do, and then they hand you the. Um, they hand you the silverware, which is actually inside of it's wrapped in a napkin and inside of a wrapped plastic bag. Oh, okay. nice. So there's like two layers of things before you even get to the silverware. And I just feel like, you know what? Everyone should just be taking that level of precaution all the time going forward. Whether you have COVID or the flu, I don't want your sneeze germs. All right. I don't want you. I don't I, like I'm OK if, if every server has a mask on from now until the end of time. I would be fine with that. <laughs> yeah. But I saw a, a tweet of, I believe it was Friday or Saturday night at a Dinky Town bar, the line oh. outside that bar. Yeah. And it's mammoth. And I get it's kids, but it's huge. And everybody is on top of each other. And I just, I don't get it. Like, yeah, well, as long as they don't go visit grandma and grandpa, like they're probably, that's the thing. Like they're statistically going to be fine. Yeah. But if they get reckless and go visit mom and dad who are 65 years right, old. But and if, they... if we should have a, a new norm established here, which I'm fine with, I mean, if that's the case, if that's the case, then doesn't it seem like we should be adjusting to that and not being like, okay, just back to normal. Yeah. I, it's just weird. It's impatience, man. No, I America. Think I think you're right. I think it's human beings. I don't think we I can. I think it's America. I don't think yeah. we can process. I don't think that people. New I Zealand's think, stayed in their houses for two months, and now they get to play full stadium sports again. Yeah. They get rugby back, man. They just figured Which it out. Which, by, by the way, no, not so much rugby. Did any of us predict a rugby game? I don't think we did. No. Write no. that down. Someone's got to predict I did a couple of Bundesliga games, and I did an inaccurate golf prediction. No. My Jordan Spieth prediction. I was close, yep, by the way. You are close. Uh, it's it's time for random season recall, by the way. Declan has put together All right. some sort of a season here. Let's Just a quick shout-out to PodMN. It's a new app. You can download it in the Apple or Google Play Store. PodMN is your place to discover local podcast here if you're wondering listen i love mackie and judd i love purple daily what are some other minnesota podcasts some other minnesota sports podcasts pod mn is the place you get rewarded for listening and it's a great discovery mechanism for discovering local podcasts pod mn the app free to download in the apple or google play stores you guys ready for this totally the wrong button let's hit this one there we go yeah it's a random season recall I like the wildest score to go. It's been a while. (laughs) All right, so random season recall is where Declan goes in and finds a season from Minnesota sports past and quizzes me and Judd on that season. We have not been prepped for this. Nope. We mostly have been great in this game so far, predicting or or giving you, like, the exact records and touchdown totals of players. Last week on the 94 Vikings was off the charts. That was a clinic right there. Insane. So, all right, so what do you got for us this week? All right, boys, we have the 97-98 Minnesota Timberwolves for random Ooh. season recall. Oh, this is going to be a lot yes. of film Mackey. All right. Okay. Rasho Nesterovich. First question. That has nothing to do with Rasho. Rasho is, is not in this note. You know where's Dean Garrett? I feature on, on Dean one time. Very nice guy. He is. All right, first, first one. Okay. Final record. What was their final record in 97-98? And if you want, I can, like, maybe give you a parameter, Stu, so, like, was over, it- under... Um, no, we'll nail it. Nail we'll, it. Was okay. This the, <laughs> okay. All right. Was this the second consecutive playoff appearance? Is that right, Phil? That's why I'm trying to do the math on you. So 96-97. They went. Was the first playoff appearance. Right. And they went, uh, they were like 500 that year. 97-98, it was not a 50-win season. They had not gotten to the, I don't think they got to the 50-win plateau yet. 40. I believe it was 45. All right. I want to say 45 wins. Let's go with it. 45 wins? Mm-hmm. Yes. Boom! 45-37. Again! Come on! Wow. 45-37. and 37. Come on, Kerry Wood. Again. Come on, throw that curveball by. by By the way, Kerry Wood, <laughs> you can gain a few pounds, baby. 
Yeah, Kerry Wood Look looks gaunt. great. He, yeah, well, he almost looks gaunt in the yeah, face because awesome. he's so skinny. Dude, okay, real quick on Kerry Wood. Someone posted basically like every pitch from Kerry Wood in that 20 strikeout game in 1998. That is the filthiest pitcher of our lifetimes. Yeah, when he was on, he was unbelievable. Before his injuries, Kerry Wood is the single filthiest pitcher of our lifetimes. I agree with that. Not a hot take. No, I don't think it is either. Right, anyways, all right, it what, might, it what might be from my lifetime, but go ahead. What else do you want to know about the 97, 98? Three, par- three parter with here. Cherokee Parks. Who did the Wolves play in the playoffs? Where were they seated? And how long did that said series go? Okay, they played. Uh, they got swept in 96, 97, 97, 98. Just talking out loud among friends here. Okay. I believe they played the Sonics and it went five. Hold on a second. So they got swept by whom in 96, 97? The Rockets? The Rockets. The right? Rockets were the first team. That was Barkley on the Rockets, right? But 97, 90, yeah, 97, 98 was, was Sonics. Was, it was, it was, it was, was the glove? Because I believe it was like. It I was, was worried about the glove. <laughs> It was a year or two after the okay. Sonics had okay. gone to the finals, and so they were still formidable. I'm not going to disagree with the young Phil Mackey. Sonics five games. Yeah. Right. And if, if you got the record right, I had faith <laughs> in you to get that right. The final part of that one, what were, what were they seated? What were the Wolves seated in that? Well, Sonics, oh, yeah. were, the Sonics were good. So the Sonics were good, but the, ja- the Jazz were the top seed. Okay. So they weren't number one, seven. which means the Wolves weren't number eight. Seven? Either a seven or a six. Okay. Well, I'm trying to think of the other teams in the West. It's all the Lakers. The Lakers were really good. I think it was. I think it was Utah Lakers Sonics. So the so Wolves have been so the six three, seed. Six, okay, sure. Oh. The Wolves were the seventh seed. Oh, sorry, Judd. They were the seventh seed. Dang it! And yeah, they won games two and three of that series, but could not close it out. So they so they had a, the they had a two one lead at home game four. They couldn't oh. close it out, and then they had to go back to Seattle, and they, they unfortunately you know what? Lost. Kill. I still. Miss the Sonics desperately. I love the Sonics. All right, this one's really fun. I, I really enjoyed finding this factoid. Who was the team's leading scorer in said playoff series against the Seattle Supersonics? He was not an everyday player when this season started. Um, he wasn't on the Wolves. He was acquired. Okay. Okay. I think I know. Obviously, it's not Marbury or Garnett. That's yes. It's not Gugliata. Judd, I feel like it's Lafonso Ellis. Yeah, because Gugliata was hurt by this point, right? Didn't he get hurt in that season? So they they got Lafon. Did they get Lafonso from Denver? Is that right? So let's let's go with it. Lafonso right. Ellis. All right, hold on, hold on, hold on. Don't tell no, us. You're good. Yep. <laughs> well, we're not good. We got buzz, but that's beside the fact. Trying to think of the other guys like Anthony Peeler. Did they trade for Anthony? Is that the year they traded for Peeler? Would he have been? Who are the other guys that would have scored points? KG, Marbury. You're saying someone averaged more points in this series than KG and Marbury. Yes. Was it a was it a center? Is this did they get Joe Smith this year? No, he wouldn't have been. Boy. James Hollywood Robinson in the mix, but he wouldn't have been scoring that <laughs> many points. Um Wow. Someone that they, that they acquired. Who would they acquire in 97, 98 that would have scored like 20 points a game? I'm I was very a, impressive. A, Anthony Peeler. It is Peeler. Wow. Hey, second guess. There it okay. is. Okay. So right. Peeler in that playoff series 42 minutes a game, 16 points, seven rebounds, three assists, assists two steals, and shot 48%. So KG, so KG averaged fewer than 16 points a game in that series? He averaged 15. What? Yeah. So he was a dud in that Peeler, series. Peeler went off and was acquired at the deadline. Um, right after Delonte West. That's hilarious. Um, Doug West. Doug West. Doug, Thank you. Yeah. Thank yeah. you. Original Timberwolf, right? Wow. So KG was, a, was kind of a... Do you have KG stats in the... Yeah, I believe it was... Uh, he averaged about 98... He averaged about 15 points per game in that playoff series against the Seattle Supersonics. That's kind of a... That's I didn't realize he was that bad in that series. All right. What else you got for us? Yeah, he was at fifteen point eight. Both him and Terry Porter averaged fifteen point eight. Terry Porter. When, Terry Porter, when did Doug West join this club? It wasn't like he he, he wasn't in re, he joined in the first rejoined. year. I don't know. All right, five players averaged double digit points per game that season for the Wolves in the in the regular season. <laughs> Who are those five players? Okay, All right. KG Marbury. Well, Oops. Peeler. We counting Peeler? Yep. Okay, Peeler. Googs. Googliata. I think he would have. Was he on the team? Wait, hold on a second. He might not have been on the team. No, he got hurt. Um, th- this was the year 
that they beat the yeah, yeah, Bulls yeah. in December, yeah, yeah. So, right? So Gugliata. But, but he got hurt, but he still was on the team. Yep. So that's uh, that's four. That's four. And then probably Terry Porter. Terry. No? No, not Terry Porter. Wait, who? Gugliata, Marbury, Garnett, Marbury. Peeler. Peeler. Oh, Sam Sam Mitchell would have averaged? Oh, there, there you go. Nice. Those five guys. Sam Mitchell. All right, as a team, where do the Wolves rank in scoring among the league? And I'll, and I'll give you three options here. Okay. Bottom half, top ten, top five. They were, they were, I, Judd, I think it's top five. I think okay. this was one of the highest scoring. I think this was uh, one of the highest scoring teams in the NBA. Top five. Yeah. Number two scoring offense in the wow. league that year. They averaged 102 points. How many per game. threes did that team yeah. hit? That's my question. 97, 98. Yeah, they, well, they, I mean, Anthony Peeler, Stefan oh, Marbury, fun. it's not going to be last. They, they definitely had some dudes. They weren't, they weren't running, you know, they weren't running, uh, the nineteen like the right. Phoenix Suns 05 offense or anything like that. But all right. What else you got? All right, last question. What was the team's longest winning streak in that season? And I will tell you it happened in January. Oh we yeah, we found this, didn't we? In our doing mean? our work for that oh. Bulls game. I think we found this. I, I don't think it was exceptionally long. Um that win. Bulls win was in December. Right? Yeah. It was but like I think right we found before. the longest winning streak they had the next month and I, I don't really remember. I remember, I think I remember it being between like six and eight games. Okay. So if you want to split the difference and say seven, seven games. Whoa! Yeah. What a pulled that out of nowhere. That was beautiful. Boom. Random season recall. 97, 98 Timberwolves, baby, man. We see, we should be in the, that was a killer. We, we should that be was in the, the you, Minnesota broadcast. Hall of you. fame after wow. this. I was three straight weeks. I, I was drinking far too much that year to remember anything that detailed about the 97, 98 Wolves. That is random season recall here on Mackie and Judd. Thanks for listening today. Uh, coming up on the other feed, purple daily, you can find another alternate reality today. If you aren't already subscribed to our uh, Purple Daily podcast feed. Yes, Purple Daily is alive and well, and it's daily, such as the name. And you can find it in audio form on Apple, Spotify, and scorenorth.com or on YouTube, youtube.com slash scorenorth. We'll see you guys for Minnesota Sports Rewind tomorrow. This holiday, whether you're making a Baker's Simple Truth Turkey for 40 or a Murray's Baked Brie for two, Baker's has fast, fresh delivery and free pickup so you can make holiday meals that bring you all together to create memories that last. Bakers, fresh for everyone. Free pickup on orders of $35 or more. Restrictions may apply. Get more ways to save at the Buy 5 or More Save $1 each sale. Just buy five or more participating items and save a dollar each with card. Bakers, fresh for everyone.